Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. Now, before we get to the biblical part, like trying to justify the Bible itself, this, we'll, we'll do the simple ones first. This is what the Bible records. We want to make sure that this thing um, is a legitimate belief or else there's no point in even going any further. And this is the main Christian belief, of course, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, but let me just say this now. Uh, I tried to say it last week, but I, I just want to be clear in everybody's mind where we're going here. You haven't stumbled on a church basement here. You're still in academia. Just have no fear. Um, you're using your mind here. This is, this is like me, when I was your age, taking a Buddhist class with a Buddhist scholar. But this is like me taking a, a, an Islamic class with a Muslim scholar. What I'm saying is, I sat there and I learned about these other religions. I didn't get offended. I figure, this is great. I've got a real Muslim telling me about Islam. I've got a real Buddhist expert, that three of them, telling me about Buddhism. You know, half my PhD is on Buddhism. Like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not just one, one level here. Like, these world religions, I, I, I took most of my classes with atheists. And I'm not an atheist, obviously, but I mean, I had to suffer through that, but I didn't wave my hand and I didn't get emotionally charged up. I simply said, this is a rational thing. This is, nobody's trying to make me an atheist in this class. They're just trying to tell me that these are the arguments that atheists use. So that's, just, just relax here through this section. This is how Christians justify, Christian theologians justify the Christian belief in the resurrection miracle, which is, according to Paul and, and all Christianity, pretty much, this is the important one. Uh, the virgin birth is important, but the, uh, this resurrection from the dead is, uh, is, is the miracle of miracles for Christianity. So the point is, if Christianity, whether or not, the, we'll talk about the Bible in a minute as valid or not, I think it is, but again, we have to look at the evidence. This is the big one in the Bible, though. Besides all those fulfilled prophecies and all the miracles Jesus did, the big miracle is the resurrection. Does it make sense? Is, is it self-contradictory? Does it beg the question? Are there better theories? There are ten mistaken views about what resurrection is. It's not just a spirit resurrection is the point there. It certainly isn't reincarnation. It's not ten different things. See, this is important when we're discussing somebody's religious beliefs, our own or somebody else's, positively or critically. We have to define the terms. Resurrection for the Christian means uh, it's a spiritualized body. It's the soul and the body that we have now, but the body is clothed with an incorruptible spiritual, spiritualized essence. This is very difficult even for Christian theologians to understand. Not everything can be understood completely with, with human reasoning. This is a spiritualized body. It's not just a soul. 
reincarnating or a soul that rises and the body remains on the ground. That's why the body's missing in the tomb. The body's gone. In fact, they, when Peter and John look in the tomb, they see the grave clothes there with the form of a body, but there's nothing in it. It's a, it this is what the Shroud of Turin stuff is all about, that what in God's name created the, the image on this thing. Uh, even after all the medical tests and scientific tests, it's still, it's still in the minds of a lot of us a mystery. Uh, if the case isn't closed by any means, there's some legitimate scholars insisting that uh, it, it has to be open. But it's a, it's a spiritualized body is my main point. But look at the other options. What are the alternatives? Like if the Christian belief is that Jesus rose spiritually, spiritualized body from the dead, aren't there, are, aren't there not alternatives like naturalistic, scientific explanations that we, we can give? Well, look at them. Look at the alternatives. I know there's a lot of points here, but quite frankly, but I, I bet you you could do this with common sense if you see questions on this. Just use your common sense. The swoon theory. Now, there, what's happened is in the last about 200 years, we've had a rash of liberalized scholarship. They were influenced by science. They were influenced by the thought that nothing can happen miraculously. Science supposedly put an end to miracles. So what did these so-called Christian scholars do in the last 200 years, most of them in Germany? Um, they tried to... Well, they gave us all these theories, quite frankly, is what they did. They tried to humanize Jesus and give a naturalistic explanation for the resurrection. One of the famous theories was he didn't really die on the cross, he just swooned. Think about that. Roman soldiers put a, put a spear in his heart, beat him half to death. Uh, there's, there's no way on earth, without even going through the nine theories, uh, nobody survived crucifixion. Uh, they, these were expert executioners who did it. No one could faint and somehow survive that kind of torture. You suffocate. You can't breathe out. You just you, The first thing that happens is you, your arms are put above your head and your shoulders dislocate, and you, you literally suffocate within about three hours normally, depending on how much you've been beaten. And Jesus was beaten severely, so... The swoon theory is not very popular today among anyone. It was a liberal, naturalistic attempt to say that this belief isn't justified because we can explain it, the man just fainted. It doesn't explain anything, quite frankly, but you have to do it yourself. I'm not going to take our valuable time and go through each and every one of the reasons this doesn't work, but the conspiracy theory, quite simply, if the Romans stole the body or the Jews stole the body, these are the enemies of the early Christians, and in this very same city, Jerusalem, Christians are parading up and down the street preaching that Christ rose from the dead. Guess what the Jews or Romans would do if they had the body? They would, they, they would expose it. They would show, here he is, he's dead, he's not risen. But nobody did that. And you know, there wasn't one complaint among the Romans or, against the, or by the Jews that the tomb wasn't empty. Like, it, it, if there's a conspiracy to to take the body. Like, everybody agrees that the body's gone. The question is, who took it? Or where did it go if it wasn't resurrected by God? Jews? The Romans? How about the disciples? The disciples, this, this band of cowards and, 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 and just 
terrified out of their lives, they fled the garden when Jesus was taken by the Roman guards on the Thursday night before he was executed on the cross. They fled. They ran away in terror. Only Peter lingered on later to watch from a distance about what was happening. And John apparently was there. The rest of them fled. Um, to think that these 12 people, even with a few women with them, could overpower the Roman guards who were professionals. By the way, there was a seal on the tomb. There was, there was a, a, a rope wrapping this huge boulder. And they're still there in Jerusalem. We can see these things. Like We know what we're talking about. It's not something we've invented. There's a seal, which means the tomb is roped shut and there's a Roman guard guarding it. No one has ever disputed historically anywhere that the tomb wasn't empty. Like, it's empty. The body's gone. It can't be the disciples. It makes no sense. Even if the disciples somehow could overpower a Roman guard, which is impossible, but even if they could, why would they then go about preaching that this man has risen from the dead, which is pure blasphemy to the side? to the Jews in the society. It would mean instant death, instant ridicule, instant punishment. Jesus in his lifetime was, 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 was threatened with death many, many times for, for saying what, what, what he believed was the truth that, and Christians do, that he was, he was divine, he was, he was God's nature. That was blasphemy to say that, to even speak. Jews had no tolerance for blasphemy. It couldn't be the disciples looking at what they did later. So when you're looking at the conspiracy theory, God knows his culture loves books on conspiracies like Da Vinci Codes and whatever. And you're looking at the one, where did the body go? Who moved the stone? The title of a famous book by Morrison. An atheist, a skeptic, who decided that he was going to put to rest the resurrection theory and he was going to study, and he did for years, all of the options about who moved the stone. Of course, the man ended up a Christian a believer because there weren't any other options that made any sense to him. There was no explanation. It wasn't the conspiracy, the stolen body, or let's all, you know, I hope you get the point. Like, if the, if, if, if the Christians are out there, and they were, by the way, 50 days after the resurrection, after the crucifixion of Jesus, we have Peter preaching sermons. Uh, it's called Pentecost for Christians. It's they were preaching immediately, 50 days later, right in the same city that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, that'd be very easy by an enemy to refute if there was a body to produce. We, by the way, there, there's another theory that's not in your book about maybe, maybe the disciples were looking for the wrong tomb. Um, what, what counts against that theory, besides about five other points, is that we have testimony that Jesus was buried in the tomb of a Jewish leader whose name is mentioned. So it's very easy to check. Um, that's what the disciples were preaching. He was buried in the tomb of, the, of this Sanhedrin, this Jewish leader, this government official, this Jewish religious official, whose name, I'm sure, he would have protested if, if the story weren't true with this early preaching 50 days later. These people are witnesses. They don't want their name abused, obviously. So the wrong tomb theory, when you have all the evidence about Roman guards and, you know, and, and uh, the, the man's name, what was his name? I can't remember now. Um, uh, it doesn't matter. It, it's just one more thing to remember. Um, the point is, that's a theory that's missing from your page because it's, it's just too ridiculous for most people to write about. But the wrong tomb theory is kind of out there, too. Um, 
the hallucination one, um, it's still out there. There are still nice little books and debates about that one. Uh, if you read the 14 points without me having to drag through it, which is treating you like adults rather than, you know, five-year-olds, and just read it yourself, hallucination theory makes very little sense. Hallucinations aren't group. Hallucinations don't last for hours. Hallucinations are things that you already know and, and they're happening later. They don't, they don't eat, they don't talk, they don't discuss theology. Hallucinations don't work. It's, it's, not the, it, it's a theory that very few people take seriously. What I'm saying is, I'm trying to say that if Christians believe in the resurrection and if you want to say, like, rationally, they have no evidence for that, well, there's evidence for it, but what we're looking at now is the evidence against it, alternative theories. And quite frankly, this is the best scholarship that's done. It was, he fainted. It's a conspiracy. Somebody stole the body. Uh, it was the wrong tomb. The disciples were hallucinating. I just saw a new one this morning. I, I'd forgotten about it, that, that Jesus somehow just mass hypnotized everybody later on. And it, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's not that easy to do. The big one, though, the big one is the myth theory. Um, and what this one says is, Jesus lived and died like the rest of us, and then the liberal scholars in the last couple of hundred years have decided that this must have been made up later by the early church, these bad guys. My main argument is that the text of the scripture of the Bible were written by eyewitnesses early, very early. There's no time for anybody to make up a myth. There are eyewitnesses walking around who would have disputed it. There was nothing to gain by it. Liberal scholarship, for some reason, seems to think that, that, that this thing makes sense, but I, I've, I've seen lots of assessments which say that this has been a, just a theological disgrace the last 200 years. I think it is, too. A theological disgrace of what has these, these naturalistic explanations. Anything but what happened. Christians have always believed in the resurrection. The last 200 years especially, we, we can't stand the thought that a miracle occurred because we don't believe in them or that Jesus performed this kind of miracle or that there's a God who can perform it. So we've had all of these theories and the dominant one is that it was made up later. Now, the way to refute that one, what, what the points basically say is, and that's what I'm going to do in a minute, we're going to, when we look at why we should trust what the Bible says, what's the justification for that? The main theory that jumps at you is that there's all kinds of testimony inside and outside Christianity um, that this thing happened early, that, that the accounts were written down early. And personally, I think it's a bunch of, bunch of garbage, and I think it's a disgrace. And I, and I can't see any justification to hold that view that it was made up later. But you have to decide. I'm talking as somebody who's involved in this. You may not be. Like if this is just an academic exercise for you about look at the Christians suffering through this. They don't have any... Uh, they've got all these liberals saying it's all just a myth. Well, that's why we have to look at biblical um, uh, trustworthiness. The evidence that it, it... It's things like... It's very simple stuff. This is Sire chapter 11. He says, for instance... The broken seal is evidence that the body, um, that something's happened. The empty tomb that no one has rejected in history. No Jew or Roman ever admitted the tomb was empty. They all agree it was empty. Um, the large stone is removed. The Roman guard fled. Why would they flee? 
Um, the grave clothes are there without the body in them, undisturbed, the same form. Um, the post-resurrection experiences of Jesus. And like I said, there are arguments for the thing that can't be explained otherwise. And when you look at these arguments against the resurrection occurring, they're not very convincing. Now, as you all know, that's called positive apologetics. That's giving you the evidence for a belief. And what we've done up here is negative apologetics, responding to the evidence against the belief. In this case, the belief being that Jesus rose from the dead. At the very end of the chapter, I don't have to discuss this because we've been through this, but you're going to see five more general refutations, criticisms of the resurrection. Things like history, vague. No one knows, really knows what happened in history. Well, we have so much documentation, eyewitness accounts, and when I get to the Bible section here quickly, um, you're going to see that the Bible is not some kind of mythological book, but it claims to be an historical book, and it talks that way, and it talks, it talks about cities and peoples and titles, and, and archaeologically, most of it's been, been, um, been um, what's the word, authenticated. Uh, it, it, to say that history's vague, we might just as well then cancel the history department and say, unless we saw it with our own eyes or it's on some videotape, and even then it could be manipulated by Hollywood or the CBC, uh, CNN, uh, we might just as well put history away. You can't just throw out some criticism that it happened long ago and these people were stupid or ignorant. That's what's implied by this, uh, so that it, it, they couldn't possibly know how they're writing history and they're all biased anyway. Who isn't biased? You know, but that doesn't mean a Jew can't write about a Holocaust, and they have, and won, won uh, Nobel Prizes for doing so. We're all biased. We just have to be aware of it. But that doesn't mean you can't write about something you're involved in. You're the expert in what you've been involved in. And we can sort through your biases and understand them by asking, are you, are you, are you elaborating? Are you, are, are you grandiosizing this thing or whatever? Or are you speaking just as a matter-of-fact historical? historically, and, and, and that seems to be what happens in the text. So it says that history is vague. By the way, postmodernism, our whole culture, thinks that all history is just made up anyway. That's why people in this culture think they can rewrite history. There's so much theology these days about Gnosticism and mother goddess worship that, quite frankly, is made up because people have no, uh, no problem rewriting history because they have this attitude that it's all biased anyway. That's a very poor view of human reality, I think. I think that's a very skeptical view that doesn't really hold much, much weight. We want to look at what the Bible says about Jesus' understanding of himself, what people thought he was. Remember now, this is the man that Christian theology and the Christian scripture says performed dozens and dozens of miracles, including whole villages. Everybody in the village was healed when he walked by. Um, and specifics that are mentioned. This is the man who fulfilled prophecies, which, of course, is impossible, the odds against it. If you, you have to read the Karm document to appreciate just how the odds are against this man performing, uh, of fulfilling all of these prophecies. So remember, this is the same man we're talking about, the man from Galilee who, uh, the outskirts, the humble carpenter, um, fulfilled Jewish prophecies about the Messiah, performed miracles, and 
was understood not only to rise from the dead, but to claim divinity. Now, it, to, to people who are serious believers in other religions, that is absolute nonsense. That, although, you know, I mean, there's, there's New Age thinks that we're all divine and we all have the Christ consciousness anyway, so I guess it's not becoming so obnoxious these days. But this is not what the Bible's talking about. It's talking about how Jesus, Christians, have to justify with evidence their claim that Jesus is a new understanding of God. That, that's the simplest way to put it. Um, Jews in the Old Testament, and Jesus was a Jew and, and living in that culture, believed in monotheism, one God. One God who creates everything. We're the creature and there's one personal God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, whatever. He had all kinds of names that he, that he gave, but Yahweh's the main one. Jesus changed the definition of God, um, that God is not, it's monotheism, but it's, 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 it has three aspects now. There's a father, there's, there's Jesus as the earthly 30 year, 36 years, whatever he lived, a, a, a son of God. And that doesn't mean that God had sexual relationships with Mary to have Jesus, by the way, which is one myth out there. There's some strange theories that are not refutations of this. But I'm now entering that dangerous realm known as the Trinity, that God somehow is three in one and one in three. It's not three gods. It is not three gods. It is not three gods. It is one God with three aspects, each of those aspects being fully God. I could explain this, but it would take me 45 minutes. And it would have to do with time and space and depth and width and height. It's the same thing that has depth and width and height. But, it, I mean, these analogies fail. To make the long story short, the doctrine of the Trinity, which most Christians can't even explain, so don't, don't worry about me not spending 45 minutes doing it. It's simply a mystery of faith that Jesus did and said things that led his disciples to believe that God must be different than they thought. It was monotheistic, one God, but now it has three aspects. There's a Holy Spirit, which is fully God, and yet it's not a separate God. And there's Jesus, fully God, but not a separate God. It's a mystery of Christianity. It's an offense to Muslims. It's an offense to other people. But it's, 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 it's a basic Christian belief. And here are some of the reasons. You know some of the reasons Christians came to that conclusion. We believe in Christian theology, the evidence is among the majority of Christian theologians that Jesus had that Again, this is going to be offensive to some people, but remember, this is not your faith that's involved here. This is an academic exercise. Enough said. I suffered through Buddhist nihilism for years. And not a word from me. Like I just said, that's interesting. It's not me, but it's interesting. Now, Jesus is the one who fulfilled the prophecies, did the miracles, but what else did he do? And rose from the dead. Now, right, now, there have been theologians in the past who have said, like Pascal, our favorite, you know, the, the guy who wrote the major stuff that we've read, Pascal thought that the prophecies fulfilled alone should convince anybody that this man was unique and something. Other people have, have said it's the resurrection that makes Jesus so unique, and that's probably closer to the truth. But, and the miracles, all of the other miracles, but it's what he did and said that seems to make the difference. Now, let me give you just a hint at what he did and said. If you just look at the character of Jesus and ask yourself the question, 
I don't know who invented this. I, it wasn't Pascal. I, it, it, was, it certainly wasn't Crete. I think it may be C.S. Lewis, but um, it doesn't matter. It, it's used by a lot of people. I think, quite frankly, it's a bit odd. That's why it's only one minor point. But it's, you have to decide by looking at what Jesus said and did whether he really was Lord, claim to divinity, or what are the options? He was a lunatic. He was deceived. Or, or uh, what are the other options? He was a liar. Or that he was just some kind of a mystic guru. Those are the options. Lord, lunatic, or liar. Um, it's, it, for a Christian even to say that, it's, very, it's a difficult thing to say. Like just, it, it's just, just inconceivable. Now, belief that Jesus is divine, first of all, it gives you the positive apologetic. This is the basis of Christian belief. It may be an offense to other people. It certainly was an offense in Jesus' day. In fact, he was killed for blasphemy. He was killed for believing that. That's the only explanation. That's the best explanation for why he was killed. And, and that's what it says all through the scriptures, too, by the way. Jesus fled for his life a few times because the crowds are trying to stone him and kill him on the spot for blasphemy. This is serious stuff. If he's a liar, then he's certainly a fool, too. But th- th- this is the argument that he wasn't a liar. I mean, y- you just don't talk that way in a Jewish culture. You don't even hint that you're, you, you are God's essence. That's just unheard of in his day. It's unheard of now in, 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 his day, in our day, unless you're New Agers or, or Hindu or something. It, it, it's not a Christian or Jewish belief, to say the least. It's a central Christian belief that Jesus is divine. And, and, and it, 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 it's, not easy for, it's not easy for anybody outside of Christianity to accept that. We understand that. So telling you that for Christians, this is important. And for, for other people, it's, it's just offensive. Um, and like I say, why it can't just be lying? There's there's no motive to lie. I, I, I'm not going to do these because we'll be here till seven o'clock. But um, to lie about this and and literally be persecuted, tortured, and killed would would be insane. He'd have to be a lunatic. So it, it's almost like unless this is true, the man is a lunatic or a liar. But his character doesn't fit that psychological profile. That's the guy who spoke about love. Pray for your enemies. Love each other. Uh, love God. Talk. He said, truly, truly, I'm telling you this. When you see his character, it doesn't hit the psychological profile even closely about being a lunatic or a liar. Neither does it seem to fit the profile of his, of his disciples. These were just simple people, fishermen, most of them, um, who couldn't even conceive of a lie like that. I can't even imagine anyone doing that unless they seriously believed it was true. Um, to say he was deluded, that he was a lunatic, is, is, I suppose a worse way to say that, is uh, he seems to have the wrong psychological profile. Don't think that studies haven't been done on this for centuries. Uh, I don't think any book in human history has ever been analyzed, criticized, and thoroughly investigated looking for problems than, than, than the Christian Bible because it makes outrageous claims about a human being who has redefined what God is. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.